minutes afterwards, a new gale was piping up. Both watches were shortening sail, and all was buried in the obscurity of a driving snow squall. For a fortnight once, Captain Dan Cullen was without a meridian or a chronometer sight. Rarely did he know his position within half of a degree, except when in sight of land, for sun and stars remained hidden behind the sky, and it was so gloomy that even at the best the horizons were poor for accurate observations. A grey gloom shrouded the world. The clouds were grey. The great driving seas were leaden grey. The smoking crests were a grey churning. Even the occasional albatrosses were grey, while the snow flurries were not white, but grey under the sombre pall of the heavens. Life aboard the Mary Rogers was grey, grey and gloomy. The faces of the sailors were blue-grey. They were afflicted with sea cuts and sea boils, and suffered exquisitely. They were shadows of men. For seven weeks, in the forecastle or on deck, they had not known what it was to be dry. They had forgotten what it was to sleep out a watch, and all watches it was all hands on deck. They caught the snatches of agonized sleep and they slept in their oilskins, ready for the everlasting call. So weak and worn were they, that it took both watches to do the work of one. That was why both watches were on deck so much of the time, and no shadow of a man could shirk duty. Nothing less than a broken leg could enable a man to knock off work, and there were two such who had been mauled and pulped by the seas that broke aboard. One other man who was the shadow of a man was George Doherty. He was the only passenger on board, a friend of the firm, and he had elected to make the voyage for his health. But seven weeks off Cape Horn had not bettered his health. He gasped and panted in his bunk through the long heaving nights, and when on deck he was so bundled up for warmth that he resembled a peripatetic old clothes shop. At midday, eating at the cabin table, in a gloom so deep that the swinging sea lamps burned always, he looked as blue-grey as the sickest, saddest man for us. Nor did gazing across the table at Captain Dan Cullen have any cheering effect upon him. Captain Cullen chewed and scowled and kept silent. The scowls were for God, and with every chew he reiterated the sole thought of his existence which was, make westing. He was a big, hairy brute, and the sight of him was not stimulating to the other's appetite. He looked upon George Doherty as a Jonah, and told him so once each meal, savagely transferring the skull from God to the passenger and back again. Nor did the mate prove a first aid to a languid appetite. Joshua Higgins by name, a seaman by profession and pull but a pot her by capacity. He was a loose-jointed, sniffling creature, heartless and selfish and cowardly, without a soul, in fear of his life of Dan Cullen, and a bully over the sailors, who knew that behind the mate was Captain Cullen, the lawgiver and compeller, the driver and the destroyer, the incarnation of a dozen bucko mates. In that wild weather at the southern end of the earth, Joshua Higgins ceased washing. 
His grimy face usually robbed George Dorothy of what little appetite he managed to accumulate. Ordinarily, this lavatorial dereliction would have caught Captain Cullen's eye and vocabulary. But in the present, his mind was filled with making Westing, to the exclusion of all other things not contributory thereto. Whether the mate's face was clean or dirty had no bearing upon Westing. Later on, when 50 degrees south in the Pacific had been reached, Joshua Higgins would wash his face very abruptly. In the meantime, at the cabin table, where grey twilight alternated with lamplight while the lamps were being filled, George Dorothy sat between the two men, one a tiger and the other a hyena, and wondered why God had made them. The second mate, Matthew Turner, was a true sailor and a man, but George Dorothy did not have the solace of his company, for he...